Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. And uh, to our first Sunday in Lent, this is the uh, seven weeks leading up to Easter, uh, a time for us to uh, reflect on the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to this earth to give his life a ransom for sinners. And, and it's also then a time in which we uh, reflect on our need, our need for, the, for a, a Savior. We recognize the sinfulness of our own hearts that made that sacrifice necessary. This year during Lent, uh, we are focusing on the theme of uh, repentance and, and asking ourselves then to consider, well, just who needs repentance? And, and I, I really appreciate uh, what, how Joseph Stump uh, described it in his book, The Christian Faith. And I'm just going to put that on the screen there for a second. He said this, repentance is the act of the Holy Spirit by which through the law and the gospel, he, he works a change of mind in the sinner so that he comes to contrition of his sins and to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And this change of mind then affects the intellect, the emotions, and the will. Well, as I was considering text for this Lent series, I was struck with how really all kinds of people in the Bible needed repentance. Beginning with the very first book of Genesis and going all the way to the last one, Revelation. And so as we selected texts for this series, we decided to put them mostly in a sequential or chronological order. Um, and so on the screen there you have a Bible timeline to just help us think of that for a second here as we begin. And you see where very, at the very beginning is Adam and Eve, and they needed repentance. Last Sunday, Pastor Ryan shared with us about Moses and uh, how Moses at the end of his life was pointing out his own sins to the Israelites as they were heading into the promised land and reminding them not to stray from God and his word and to be quick to repent if they did. And then last Wednesday night, just a little further on there, we see um, it says Saul, David, and Solomon. Well, last Wednesday we considered then kings and world leaders through the ages and how they need repentance, and including then even godly king of the Old Testament named David who uh, committed some very blatant sins and, and tried hiding them for a while until he, uh, he found he was just absolutely miserable until he finally admitted his sins to God and, and found forgiveness at last. And I failed to mention last Wednesday that King David knew that forgiveness because, and, well, not only because he knew that God was extremely merciful, but also because he himself believed in the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, who had not yet come. But as we look on the timeline, we see that yet to be coming. Today then, we go just a little further in the Old Testament. We consider the early life of King David's son Solomon, who, who was, a, as a young king, had the privilege then of presiding over the building of a magnificent temple to the Lord and then dedicating it to the Lord. 
And so we look in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and 7 today, and in chapter 6 it tells us of, of Solomon's prayer of dedication of that awesome temple, which was to be a place then to remind people everywhere uh, of, of the awesomeness of Almighty God. And then in chapter 7 we see God's response to Solomon's prayer and how God's glory filled that temple and God appeared to Solomon one night confirming the very things that he'd prayed about. And so in chapter 7, we'll, we look at that together today, verses 11 through 15. And I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as I, as I read from that. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and, and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. And then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word to us today. As we consider Solomon's prayer and your response to that, Lord, help us that we would each recognize you want to speak to our hearts about our own relationship with you as well. And Lord, as we think of the world around us and the things we see happening there, help us to see how you use those to point us to our need for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> this text is considered by many one of the uh, greatest texts in all of the Bible on the subjects of repentance and revival. And we're reminded in 2 Chronicles 6 and 7 then that God in his sovereignty sometimes sends trigger events to remind people to repent. And that's part of what Solomon was praying about in, in chapter 6. He was essentially saying there to God, Lord, use this place to draw people back to you. Lord, you, you know how people fall into sin and, and they may sin against each other and against you over and over again. And, and, and if they do and they go on living in that sin, then do whatever you need to show them their sin and draw them back to you here at this temple, he was saying. And, and so in that lengthy prayer there in chapter 6, Solomon was listing some of the tactics that God might use to get people to come to their senses and to turn from their sin and turn to God again uh, with their heart and their mind and their life. And so God in his sovereignty sometimes sends what you might call trigger events to remind people to repent. What are some examples of these? One of them is weather events. And if you look back in chapter 6, um, we see glimpses there of, of Solomon's prayer that we'll be looking at here. And in, in verse 26 and 27 he says then, as he's praying to the Lord, when, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you. And in verse 28, if there is a famine in the land. And we're told here then that a reason for a lack of rain at times might be because God has chosen to shut up the heavens because his people have sinned against him. Well, 
Almighty God is still able to cause various weather events, isn't he? Uh, various other things as well uh, to get people's attention. Tornadoes or hurricanes, floods, and even blizzards. And, and uh, you would think then he should have our attention up here in the Northland by now, right? With eight blizzards so far this season. What other trigger events might God use? Well, he might send devourers on the crops. And in verse 28 there, he talks about blight and mildew and locusts and, and grasshoppers. They all can wipe out the crops. I, I read a little bit from back in history. In, in the 1870s, for instance, there were five years in a row where, where crops in the Midwest uh, were significantly destroyed by grasshoppers, leaving families really short on food to eat. In the 1930s were also years like that, and my dad described it as, as like there was a dark cloud on the horizon that moved in and, and left the crops in shreds. You know, these days we, we have pesticides and herbicides that kind of insulate us from such disasters, but they can't insulate us from, from different kind of devourers such as runaway inflation, for instance, which God can use too to get people's attention. He also mentions pestilence, fatal epidemic diseases. And, and after two years of various strains of COVID-19 affecting the whole world, I, I don't think I need to explain um, pestilence. Being a student in history, though, I find it fascinating that in times past, when there has been such, there have also been significant spiritual revivals connected. People turning to God when they had no place else to turn. And it seems to me that this round, many people have wanted government to solve the problems for them, solve the crisis, and not even considered then looking to God. And I think there's reason for that. And it's really easier, isn't it, to make demands of government than to humble ourselves before God and be willing to change our ways. One more trigger event that God sometimes uses and that's the enemy besieging. He says there in verse 28, if their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, and, and then in um, chapter 6, verse 34, when, when your people go out in battle against their enemies, and those are descriptions then of, of war, uh, of military battles, of enemies invading, and the need then to fight back with expectation that there's going to be loss of life. Scenes of that very thing going on over in the Ukraine are flashed across our screens now about every day. Well, all four of those, weather events, devourers, pestilence, and enemies besieging are examples of what God in his sovereignty sometimes sends on the earth as, as trigger events to remind people to repent. I appreciate what uh, Walter Kaiser said as he sums this up. He said, when these tragedies start coming in series, then it's high time for believers to sit up and take notice. So are we noticing? It needs to start with the church. If God can't get our attention, how is he going to wake up the rest of the world? And we do have a lot of extreme conditions going on around us these days. Kaiser also says this about that, then people's extremities become God's opportunities. These trigger events are, are God's gracious invitation to turn or, or to return to him. What should such turning or returning to God look like? Well, God told Solomon that it should involve four things. Four things that are really uh, four facets of, of one attitude toward God. 
Let me list them and explain a little bit here today. First of all, he mentions God's people humbling themselves. And the picture here of humbling ourselves is, is of bending our knee or, or bowing in deference to another. It's admitting, I'm not God, but rather I am under one who is, and he is in charge, and he sets the standards, not me, and I have disobeyed those standards, and I have sinned. And so I admit in which ways I have, and I admit that I am helpless to change in myself. And secondly, then, that I pray, that I actually talk to God about those things, and I speak to him, I confess my sins to him, and I tell him my deep need and the needs of others in the world. And I bring those needs to him, and I ask him to deal with them for me and for others. That's what prayer is. It's petitioning God about our own needs and also interceding for other people's needs. And unfortunately, though, too often people end up thinking that we're really too busy. And we have more important things to do than to pray. And we'll probably keep on thinking that until we feel so helpless that we don't know what else to do so that we do pray. And so that's why sometimes God has to cause various circumstances to pile up, like weather events and inflation and epidemics and war, to get us to humble ourselves and to pray. And that attitude toward God that he desires is, is further described. As you look on here, he, he talks about seeking his face. And, and that's not literally going to take place. None of us can literally see God's face and live. But, but this gets at that relational aspect then of our interaction with God. It's not just about us getting something from God, but actually getting to know him. Seeking his face and involves a desire to commune with God as a part of our daily life. And an ongoing lifestyle then of turning from sin and looking to God each day for direction and for purpose in our lives. And along with humbling ourselves then before him and telling him our needs and living in a relationship with God also involves then turning from our wicked ways. That is turning from outward actions and hard attitudes that God says are evil. Not so that, or not that we will be able to just no longer sin at all. But repentance does involve then a change of heart and mind that then begins to shape our thought process and our affections and our lifestyle. And so various extremely troubling circumstances in people's lives might actually be sent by God to get us to turn or return to him. And along with this, then he gives conditional promise. What do I mean by that? Well, conditional promise is if you say, well, if you do something, then I will do this in return. If you meet these criteria, then I will this. For instance, if, if you tell your kids something like this, you know, if you do your chores and get your homework all done, I'll take you to Dairy Queen. Uh, which means then if you don't do your homework and you don't get your chores done, you don't go to Dairy Queen. However, God doesn't have a big chore list for us to do or, or some grade for us to achieve to earn our way to Dairy Queen or, or to heaven. Um, he just asks for an attitude of a heart. God's conditional promise is this then. If my people will just be willing to humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Now why does God say that? Isn't God omniscient? Doesn't he know all things already? 
Doesn't David tell us, for instance, Psalm 139, that even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all? Doesn't God hear all prayers offered ever? Well, yes, and you might say no. The psalmist says in Psalm 66, for instance, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That is, he will not listen because we're just babbling. It must kind of sound like blah, 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 blah to him. He knows the dishonesty of our hearts if we just want to get something from him, but we're not willing to deal with the thing that he's pointing out as sin in our life. But if people will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then he says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins. That is, I will cancel the record of their infractions. That's what he was offering to the whole nation of Israel, forgiveness of their national sins and also forgiveness then of the individual sins of individuals as they come to him. Just like that then, a lengthy record of disobedience turned into a clean slate before God, forgiven. And along with that then, God promises Solomon that God's people repenting and turning to him would then affect their whole country, that he would heal their land. Which for the nation of Israel then could on the surface involve things like seasonable weather and good crops and freedom from sickness and, and peace with other countries. But more than that, it also then would involve a restored relationship with God, the God that they had offended and lived in disobedience to. And, and so there you have it. That's the essence of this great text on repentance and revival. But maybe there are some things that are still questions in your minds, as, as there are in mine at times. Questions that remain about this promise from God. Well, one is this. Well, how does it only, or, or I should say, does it only apply um, to this exact biblical context? Was it only for Solomon and the people of Israel while, while he was their king? No, it, it lasted far longer than that. The, the promise was attached to the temple that Solomon was dedicating, which stood for, if I understand right, about 350 years. And, and there were several times in those 350 years, long after Solomon was gone, where, where there was a significant revival that happened in the nation of Judah, turning back to God, uh, and large gatherings of people again humbling themselves and praying together there in that temple. And even after the Babylonians wiped out that magnificent temple, God was still the same merciful God who offered to forgive sins of those who humbled themselves in repentance and faith. And that same God is still in the business of sending trigger events to get his people and all, and all people to humble themselves and call out on his name. And we have far more of God's revelation given to us than they did in Solomon's day. We have the New Testament Gospels, which reveal to us in the amazing incarnation, God sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to earth and going to the cross and to be the substitute guilt bearer for our sins. And, and we have then the gracious invitation recorded by one of Jesus' disciples where he says, it's like this, if you confess your sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so, then a couple other questions that remain. Well, who, who is this conditional promise for? How many people in the land need to pray? 
And it seems to me we have to say it applies to all lands. We in the United States aren't given any special status. God cares for us, but he, and his ear is open to all people who will humble themselves wherever they are, whether they be in Ukraine or Russia or someplace else. How many people are needed to pray? Well, on the one hand, you can say in Scripture, it tells us where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. And the more people that are praying, the better. The more hearts that are changed, the greater the impact on society. Another question, another question that sometimes comes up is this. Well, how sincere do they need to be about their repentance? And we try to figure out how sincere we are and uh, there was a friend of mine um, who posted something recently on this, and, and somebody had asked him a question in response, and, and, uh, and the, the question he had asked was, well, what is the difference between a level 3 repentance and a level 10 repentance? And this pastor's reply was, absolutely nothing. Absolutely no difference. His point being that we cannot possibly generate being sorry enough to somehow merit forgiveness. And he went on to explain, and I'll quote from him, he said, Now some like to think that if they truly rend their hearts, that if they properly come to the end of themselves, that God will stand up and he'll clap his hands and he'll say, Wow, well done. You repented correctly. That was a 10-plus apology. You sure landed that. I guess I now owe you forgiveness because you apologized correctly. No, God does not owe us anything but judgment in hell itself. But he offers us forgiveness to all who will confess their sins and believe in his son. And when we do, he also then works a change in our heart and our mind. And it affects our whole life and affects the lives of others around us. So one last question lingers for me from this text. Uh, with God's conditional promise, he offers to hear from heaven and forgive their sin and, and heal their land. Well, what will healing their land look like? Well, for the nation of Israel, th this promise to heal their land led to at one point then where, where God brought the exiles back from Babylon to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple there, and populate, again, the, the, pop, the promised land, where for a time then they would have peace and security until they again strayed away from him. But that healing then was a mixture of both physical and also spiritual wholeness. And so it is today that, that whenever the Spirit of God works in the hearts of people, a humbling of themselves, and praying, and seeking God's face, and turning from their wicked ways back to him, then he offers to hear from heaven and to forgive their sin. And I would say that the more people in that land that will do so, the more God is able then to work a healing of that land, because then the walls of sin and selfishness and idolatry are coming down, and people are beginning to live instead um, God-centered lives. Oh, how we need repentance and revival in America and the rest of the world today. As you think about these things today, have those extreme things happening in the world around you gotten your attention yet? Have they helped you to humble yourself and pray and seek God's face and turn from sin to him? If so, then God tells you that he hears you. He hears your prayer and he promises you forgiveness of all your sin in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Lord God, I thank you for this text, and, and uh, Lord, it's probably familiar to so many of us, but I pray that today, again, as we've pondered these things, as we've considered the various uh, trigger events that uh, happen in the world around us, and Lord, there are many of them lately, Lord, I, I pray that you'd have our attention and that it would draw each of us to see our own need for you, and we would humble ourselves in confession of our sin, Lord, and asking your help to change, and that we would trust that the promises of your word are true, that as we humble ourselves before you, you tell us uh, we are forgiven in Jesus Christ, and you empower us to live different, and to make an impact on the world around us, and oh, how we need that in our world today. We pray that that revival would start even here in, in our hearts this day. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>